0: Hi, welcome to Someone Else's Movie, the original podcast where an actor, writer, director, or nebulous industry figure gives a little love to a movie they didn't make. I'm Norm Wilner, senior film writer for Now Magazine, and this is The Other Thing I Do. My guest this week is Jessica Ellis, a writer and director whose lovely first feature, What Lies West, just arrived on VOD in North America. It's a modest but affecting drama about two young women who make a 40-mile hike from their home in California wine country to the Pacific coast. And it feels like an adaptation of a beloved young adult novel. I mean that in the best possible way. Jessica picked The Martian, Ridley Scott's 2015 drama about the efforts to save Mark Watney, an American botanist stranded on the red planet after an accident. Matt Damon plays Watney with Jessica Chastain, Sebastian Stan, Kate Mara, Michael Peña, and Axel Henney as his crewmates who put their own lives in jeopardy to mount a daring rescue effort. Back on Earth? Said effort is overseen by the likes of Jeff Daniels, Sean Bean, Kristen Wiig, Donald Glover, Benedict Wong, Chiwetel Ejiofor, and Mackenzie Davis, because this cast is absolutely stacked. Drew Goddard's ingenious adaptation of Andy Weir's novel makes sure everyone has plenty to do, while Scott and his longtime editor Pietro Scalia make the action feel fleet and engaging. Life and death stakes aren't supposed to be this much fun, but that's why The Martian works. This is someone else's
1: movie. I have such a deep admiration for this film. It's it's been one of my favorite films of the last decade for sure. Like I I'm so, you know, it's a great narrative and it's a, it's a really well put together story, but like there are just some movies that are masterworks of everybody on board that that completely show the best of everybody's ability that's involved with the project and that's The Martian for me. It's it is so across the board well done that you just want to like give the filmmakers thumbs up afterwards and that that's always a really special element
0: of a movie for me that's a really good way to put it i i was trying to describe it or i was trying to figure out how i was going to introduce it basically because i was working on the on the intro and outro uh for this episode and which is i suppose i should cut that because now people will know how i work but it's uh, uh, there's a movie that's just come out on um, what's on Netflix in the States and Amazon prime in Canada called stowaway literally just came out yesterday uh, with um, Shamir Anderson, who's from Toronto and Anna Kendrick and Tony Collette and Daniel day Kim. And it's about a mission to Mars um, where 12 hours into it, they find out there's a fourth person, somebody tech got knocked on the head and and injured and didn't know they were launching with him in it. And it belongs to this genre that I think the Martian sort of, perfect, like gravity in the Martian maybe perfected it where there, I call it space problems where, you know, there's no extraterrestrial issue. There's nothing going on that isn't completely scientifically provable, location-based, fact-based. All the conflicts come from the situation. Yeah. And the Martian is the ensemble piece where you get to see how a bunch of people solve a problem as opposed to gravity where it's just one person. And arriving so soon after gravity i think i didn't give it enough credit because its tensions are completely different and it's too calm for so much of its running time it is
1: which, it is very calm
0: yeah which yeah. isn't a problem right like it's not a negative to the film and obviously if 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 watney thinks about it too much he'll lose his mind and and completely shut down so he has to sort of keep it light but between that and the and the disco tracks and the and this just the general looseness of of everybody involved I think the first time through, I was just like, well, this is fine. And then I watched it again. And because in the second time through you, the tension's gone and you know, how, you know, like in the back of your mind, even if you're not intimately familiar with the script, it's like, well, everything's going to be fine. I've seen this already. I really liked it. <laughs> and like, I feel like I over- at least got an apology.
1: Yeah. it It is. It's so interesting to me because I'm not a bleak movie person. I can't, I can't get on board with most movies that are serious all the way through and I just love that like this is a movie about a huge problem, a nearly unsolvable problem. And it's also like people are cracking jokes constantly because that's how we actually deal with things in real life and that's how, you know, a lot of scientists have great senses of humor and it's how they survive in bleak professions. So I I don't know. I found that so, so admirable off the gate and it's made it really rewatchable. Like there's only so many times I can go back and watch Gravity. It's, it's a little heavier, you know, but this I can pull out anytime I feel like it. And it's a great watch.
0: Yeah. It's the idea too, that, that Ridley Scott is working at a point now in his, in his career, his fame, his influence. I don't know even what to call it anymore when someone is as uh, elevated as a, a filmmaker, as Scott is, where he can point to an actor and say, I want that person. And no one says, well, let's work on scheduling and maybe you can get right. somebody else. It's like, no, I want Jessica Chastain to do to do very little, but to do it great. Like to just, that's the person who does this thing. Donald Glover or, or Sean Bean or uh, Kristen Wiig was was. Making, she was just off bridesmaids. Like she had Oscar nominations, and here she is. Yeah, she's this. a
1: really interesting casting choice. And yeah, like she, she's the only one that I would say maybe you're kind of like is this the right person <laughs> for this role? I I don't know why they went with her. She's not bad. She's fine. But yeah, but just as like a PR person, you're kind of like that's a that's a choice. Okay, all right.
0: I thought it was kind of a gesture on the movie's part that her energy was so different that. A PR person would be wildly overmatched for anything this serious. But also, Wayne just plays it really well, too. Like the energy is wrong. She doesn't fit in the same yeah, space. She's
1: clearly not one of the science people.
0: Yeah, but I like that about it. I like the fact that even the people who don't necessarily know what they're doing are trying their best. And the optimism, like there's no villain in this film. There, like, there's absolutely no um enemy like the situation is the enemy and everybody just gets their shit together. I I kind of love it.
1: And that's one of the biggest risks of the movie. And part of why I love it so much is that it's such a, it's such a character driven piece in a lot of ways. And there's so many characters because there's all the people on the ship. There's all the people at NASA and then there's Watney and like more like Donald Glover comes in like halfway through the (laughs) movie and totally changes the trajectory. And like the, The risk with audiences is that they're so used to, you've got to have a human villain Mm -hmm. that they would just find it conflict free without that. Or, I mean, the risk that the screenwriter takes is like, there's not going to be any human conflict in the movie, but the movie's full of it. Everybody is disagreeing on what to do and what approach to take, but nobody is, nobody is mustache twirling at all. Everyone has good motives. That's a huge risk.
0: Yeah, uh, apparently there was an earlier draft where Jeff Daniels was an actual bad guy who just didn't care. And they went back and massaged his stuff so that he had a reason for everything that he raises as an objection. And and Daniels obviously doesn't play it as a villain, which is what saves it. I think there is a way to do that. The the role as written could have been the mustache twirler.
1: Yeah, for sure. Yeah, you could have gone that way. You you could have gone that way with really a- almost anyone in the the film. You know, Chyotel for could have been had bad political motivations, you know, the guy that's actually in charge of the Mars missions, the Sean Bean, like there anybody could have been a villain villain, but nobody was. And and I think that's a um it's subtle, but it's a it's a harder script to write and a harder movie to make without without someone you can hate.
0: I think so. And even the good guys are They're flawed, but they're not flawed in ways that set up a betrayal. Like, I never waited, I was never waiting for a betrayal. I was never waiting for somebody to make a mistake on purpose, you know, that would just scuttle the whole thing and force everyone to be more resourceful. These people commit to their thing and they stick to it. And yeah, again, if you are going to put people in space with each other for long periods of time, Stowaway kind of hits on this too. By the time the, the crisis happens, they've already spent enough time training together that any nuts or bolts that were loose have been ironed out. No, that's a terrible metaphor. But things have been worked out long since, like before the launch even, though they would have gotten over whatever personality conflicts they had.
1: Well, and you see that when they do like the, you know, they put people in biodomes for Mars training missions and stuff like that for seven months or whatever, they come out and they're like, yeah, once in a while we had conflicts, but it was mostly fine because they're all adults. Like it's a very adult film in a way. Like it's not going to cater to the the ideas of 12 year olds this this movie is about professionals and and I think that's so cool that someone would make a movie like that it's not common I don't think
0: no I mean when I was a kid it was all capricorn one and paranoia and yeah. you know don't trust anybody and this is a utopian like I guess it is a late period Obama-Democrat movie where it's just like, everything's going to be great from here on out. Boy, is
1: it interesting to watch this film in the context of the last few years and and COVID. Because like you think about, imagine if we had dealt with COVID without the political agenda of of conservatives and without anti-maskers and all of that. Maybe we could have had a much less of a crisis and a much easier situation. It really, yeah, it seems almost staggeringly utopian now to look at this movie where even the Chinese government is going to pitch in and help and help, help us save one astronaut. That is hard to believe that kind of global collaboration.
0: Yeah. The last time I wrote about it was, Oh, I wrote a, a little list of stuff for, for now's readers to distract themselves with during the 2020 American election. Just, you know, here's a movie to take your mind off it if you can't bear watching the results Uh, come in slowly. And The Martian was one of the ones we picked as a positive distraction because if you try really, really hard, you can believe that NASA figured everything out after Space Force, that all the bumps of 2016 to 2020 were dealt with whenever this film takes place, which let's say, I don't know, 2035, 2040, they're pretty vague about it, but it's not too far in the future.
1: Right. Yeah.
0: And we just got over it. And I, I, (laughs) I believe that is possible. I I know I don't know why I believe that, but I believe it. That you know, this is the bump in the road. I guess it's because I was raised on original flavor Star Trek, where they acknowledge that some really awful stuff happened. Like there's a World War III in the Federation timeline, probably right. around now. Like Khan came from around now, and the <laughs> eugenics timeline and all of that stuff. And the whole point is, we got over it. We got past it as a as as a species rather than a series of nations arguing over things. And the Martian speaks to that, right? Like that faith in the endeavor, the the highest thing you can do is help someone else.
1: Well, and that's, I mean, that ties in so much to what NASA has always represented in America, you know, and NASA certainly has its own troubled history of racism and sexism and everything, but like there is this idea that it is always striving towards something better actively through science through community through you know knowledge and and that is as many flaws as there are in the american character there is a desire for that and and we don't get a lot of movies anymore that exemplify that spirit that that desire to push forward for a positive outcome. That's not a greedy capitalist outcome. Um, So, you know, it's, it's very sweet on that level that there's without being outwardly political about it in the text of the film, you know, that it still kind of pushes the, that nostalgia for a NASA that that made a better world in the sixties, you know?
0: Yeah. I mean, there's that Apple series for all mankind where um, again, it's, it's alternative timelines where, By the end of the first episode, the Russians have made the first uh, moon landing and everything is up in the air as to what we think is going to happen versus what the show wants to do. And it's also somehow about idealism. It's bruised idealism. It's different. I guess it's more like what we have now. So I suppose that's why people are responding to it. Like, what if things were always this bad, but we still went to the moon?
1: Yeah, I do think if The Martian came out today, you would definitely have a large group of people being like, come on, <laughs> get, get with it. Their- it's amazing how quickly something can become dated in its outlook. But, you know, even that makes it more important to have films like this because we've got to draw hope from somewhere. And if we're not getting it from reality, it better be from fiction.
0: Yeah. Had yeah. you read the book when you. I-
1: I read it. I read it after I saw it at one point. I finally went through it. And it's incredible how much, you know, the character of Watney is on the page. I mean, they transposed whole monologues into the movie. Yeah. Which is pretty cool.
0: It is. Like Goddard is a screenwriter, has has had this really fascinating career of just coming in and making stuff better than it could have been.
1: Yes. And I don't mean that. Yeah.
0: I don't mean that in a in a demeaning way at all. I think he just he finds the trick of whatever the trick is that that no one else caught that no, like in a genre, in something like cabin in the woods where he just, he built out this world. Then this, this fascination that came, I interviewed him when he came through town with it. And it was just, well, we never seen a movie like this before and we always wanted to. So we wrote one and then we got to make it. And That's this is so cool. This feels like that too, right? Where you can read the book and think, well, what about those other people? What, what happens with them? And
1: yeah, that was a really because the because the book, if I'm remembering correctly, it's just Watney, right? Mm, you don't yeah. go back to to NASA at all. And and that is such a critical element in making the film work is broadening. Because there's a lot of things. I mean, there's there's definitely a lot in the book that could spark a screenplay, but it as itself is too thin of a narrative, I think, to make a really good film.
0: Yeah. But yeah, um,
1: Goddard, I really idolize Goddard. <laughs> I love everything he's done. He strikes me as a filmmaker that's constantly taking the next step forward in what he can do and uh, that's so impressive to me.
0: Yeah, I can't wait to see what he does next. I mean, well, hang on. Did he make bad times at the other?
1: He did. Yeah. I did
0: not like that film. I forgot. I
1: it's an uneven film, but I like the ambition of it. There are sections of it that are great.
0: Yeah, that's a good way to put it. Yeah. Bridges is great. Um John Hamm is pretty good. The stuff with Cynthia Erivo is great, but Yeah. Yeah, it just, this, it just I, you know, again, it's one of those things where I think The Martian is maybe five minutes shorter than Bad Times of the El Royale, and it feels like it's half the length. It just, yes. it's in total control of itself. And maybe that's Ridley Scott, again, just knowing exactly what to do. I have this weird, like, I despise Prometheus and Alien Con. <laughs> I, I I'm so, I blow so hot and cold on, on Ridley Scott. There are moments where he throws something into a movie and you just reminded, this is one of the great filmmakers, like full stop, to ever pick up a camera, to ever work with something. Like Exodus, Gods and Kings, not a good movie, but it has this great moment of pure comedy that had to be his idea, or at least he kept it in the film. So, you know, he gets some credit for it as the director, where, you know, Moses and Ramses are having the big debate about letting the, the Israelites go And Joel Edgerton has this little moment where he put, he sort of tilts his head down and says, do you have any idea what kind of economic impact that would create? (laughs) And Christian Bale just stares at him and the shot is just held long enough that it's like, God damn it, that was genius. That's, (laughs) no one has ever thought this about the story of Ten Commandments before. Like that's genuinely novel. And then you see Prometheus or Alien Covenant and all the weird foolishness he's had about, you know, well, they're not re- necessarily on the planet from Alien. I was like, well, then why does it look like the planet from Alien? What are you doing? Why am I watching this movie if it's not about the alien thing that you told me it was about? And he's, his, I'm he, sorry, please. no. He,
1: oh God, Yeah. He's a very uneven, it's so, because you look at the Martian and you're like, oh, a master made this. Somebody that knew exactly the right choices to make at exactly every moment. His shot choice is incredible. Everything is perfect. And then he, I, I can't explain it. I, unless the movie, the theme of the movie infected the creative team and made them all work their hardest or something. Because it—it it is so strange how up and down Scott's career has been.
0: Yeah, but when he's on, you just, you feel like you're watching... I don't know, Babe Ruth or something, somebody who's just not even thinking about how he does stuff. He's just doing it.
1: I think, yeah. And I mean, I think that's the thing. I would call him probably one of the true artists in that, like, he does, he follows his instincts. I mean, why did the man make legend? (laughs) You know, he was like, what the world means now is a unicorn movie. Like, and he went with that and it's weird and nobody else would have done it. Like it's, I don't know. You have to expect with somebody that's really following their own artistic ideals that they will not hit all the time because <laughs> we're wrong a lot. Everybody's wrong a lot. Yeah,
0: that's fair. Legend, I mean, Legend. Legend makes sense to me in his filmography because it's the kind of movie that didn't like he wanted to build the world and run around in it, and maybe the plot wasn't the most important thing. But you, you know, like the, there are scenes. There's a scene where darkness comes charging out of the of the smoke, and it's absolutely terrifying on a big screen. I think that didn't exist until he built it.
1: For sure. I mean, it's still got some visionary stuff in it, but it's a really strange movie <laughs> where Tom Cruise runs around in a little gold skirt for two hours. And i don't, it's a very no, you're it's not a weird movie.
0: Yeah, you're, you're definitely not wrong. Um, and then even something like, what was I trying to say? Oh, yeah. The Martian is also in sort of communication with Alien, the first Alien, the original Alien, because he did invent that too, that sort of gothic horror thing that no one had really attempted before as a direct response to star Wars where, you know, let's make this commercial. No, let's just make it functional space tugboat versus monster and have nothing but the experience. I, I love alien. It's a perfect film. Uh, and it was his second feature, which again, I'm angry at him a little for that.
1: <laughs> yeah. Yeah. No, I mean, alien is just, it's it's so interesting because it's such a different film than the Martian. It's completely you know, in addition to tonally different, but like, it's the movie on the spaceship. If we spent this entire movie on the spaceship, I think there'd be more direct comparisons, but yeah, Alien is just unmatchable. It's, it's, it's never been topped as a space film, I think, or maybe even as a, as a horror film. I don't, I don't think you get scarier than that.
0: Yeah. Stephen King described it as a haunted house movie in space, which means you can never leave, which is, (laughs) I don't even know if they knew that when they were writing it, but yeah, that's, of course, it's, Inescapable horror is, by definition, the worst kind. Yeah. Um, but what uh, what I meant about the Martian being in conversation with it is, there, is that apparently the suits are patterned very, very subtly after the Nostromo suits, not as a joke, but because that's the direction that spacesuits are evolving. Something about the visor or the shape of the helmet is they it happened in pre-production where they were designing what it would look like. Extrapolating the reality of spacesuit design or the practicality of suit design to the point where the Martian would take place, and realizing that the the bulb head thing from the Nostromo had basically just taken over—that it's and real I mean, design. Who knows?
1: Is, who knows if life was influencing art there or the other way around? Is it possible that you know NASA engineers have been looking at Alien for thirty years and and gotten some ideas about oh, how to yeah. design things? You know, I'm, we don't know which direction things come from. But that's really cool. I hadn't heard that.
0: Yeah. It's um, it's just one of those weird little things where I could see him being really, really flattered, but also just, sure, go for it.
1: Yeah. <laughs> yeah. He seems like a, a just somebody, I, I, I have learned that being a director is mostly about being the one person capable of making decisions. <laughs> and like Ridley Scott seems someone like someone who has no problems making decisions. I don't think he's ever- been caught in a lather of of indecision in his entire career it seems like everything for him is like yep go for it yep we're doing that yep
0: yeah only when it comes to like what what his final cut will be because he's revisited virtually every movie he's ever made um well that's when you get to
1: reflect like i'm betting during pre-production and production like you can't phase him but when when you have time to sit and stew in your own brain with the cut for a while everyone goes crazy (laughs)
0: Yeah. It's, um, I I don't know if you've seen the longer cut of the Martian, but it's fine. It's, it just adds a little more of
1: everything.
0: Not much. I mean, it's only about 10 minutes, but it's all scene extensions and I I can't, it's, I've only seen it once and I don't remember a single scene coming at me and going, Oh, I I don't remember that scene at all. It's just a little extra skin on everything.
1: Interesting. I mean, it's such a strong screenplay. I I, I rewatched it. I watched the movie two nights ago. Um, And just the opening scene is the most efficient damn screenwriting I've ever seen in my life, because it's literally the crew out there. And it's like Mark Watney being like, oh, I'm picking up soil because I'm a botanist. And the commander being like, hey, stop doing things. I'm the commander. Like everyone is introduced by their profession in less than two minutes. (laughs) And you've established these, all of these people and their relationships to each other immediately. And it's, I don't know. You just watch that and you go, oh, why can't I write like that? That is so clean. And then interestingly, because I was talking about it on Twitter, one of the producers, Aditya Sood, chimed in and was like, uh, actually, that wasn't originally how the movie opened. I missed um,
0: that What did she say? What, how, did she say how it did?
1: He said that uh, it was originally like the book where it, it works in flashback. It starts with Watney waking up after having been injured. And then you see what happened. As a flashback. And the cut, I guess, was like that for quite a while. Um, I think that's probably one of those ones that work better in the novel than than on the screen. Flashbacks are dicey when you're only gonna use them once.
0: Well, it's that in media's res thing, right? It's everywhere now. And yeah, you know, like what is it, 12 years after breaking bad? I think we're done for a while. We should put it to the side. It's like um uh, and forgive me if this is going to impact anything you're working on, but it's like every television show now has to have two parallel narratives and they don't always need them.
1: Yeah, I, the the uh, deletion of the first act has been the most detrimental trend in film that I have seen in my lifetime. This idea that like, no, we need to come in really at the end of act one. It's like, well, then you don't care about anyone and anything that is happening because you have not met them and you do not know what their lives are. Uh, And they were pushing that when I was in grad school, they were like, no, no, we don't need to, we don't need to set up the normal world first. And it's like, well then how will you, you're you're just stomping on your conflict and your, your emotion if you do that. But I'm hoping that trend is dying out.
0: I wonder if it has something to do with the push towards like the, the mutation of celebrity where there's a certain breed of, like a Tom Cruise where you really don't need to see who this person is. It's Tom Cruise. that, yeah. Like, there's there's no room for character. They're, you're just dealing with persona, which weirdly was an argument I was going to. I was just about to make for the casting in The Martian, where Matt Damon, having made Saving Private Ryan, makes him the perfect, like the only Mark Watney, because we understand why an entire planet would want to go save him. They save him a lot in movies, so obviously he would be deserving of it again.
1: Yeah. And, and I mean, I mean, it's Matt Damon at his Matt damon I, I mean, I think if you were going to typecast him as anything, it's a smart ass, smart person that goes all the way back to Goodwill Hunting. Yep. Like that's just who he is. And, and this is really him in his element, but you know, he's able to get across the emotion of this part to a reasonable degree. Like oh, yeah. it's, it doesn't feel flat. He does seem affected by it. Um to the extent that you think a character like that would be able to process it. You always wonder, like, how much therapy did Mark Watney need once he got back to Earth? However, after a year in quarantine, we have to worry, wonder a lot less about that. Yeah,
0: yeah. It's a joke I've been making. It's not, it's not a joke. I just said it was a joke now to make myself process it better. <laughs> uh, but on, a, I do another podcast called Now What, where we've been covering Toronto responses to the coronavirus all over the map, you know, like restaurants closing down or people going to the... With cherry blossoms, where it's safe, where you can go outside. All like all of the subjects, and more and more, I keep coming back to the idea that we are all in the process of accruing trauma for our eventual PTSD, and none of us knows what it's going to look like.
1: Yeah, it's it's tricky. I have PTSD, and uh, and stemming from like a very clear incident. And Oof. then trauma after that has always seemed like, well, is this going to turn into something more or will this eventually hit me? And know, a lot of it doesn't. I think a lot of it you process more than you realize as you're going, going through it, if you're not a completely repressed person, <laughs> but who knows? I don't yeah. think that the, the rash of, you know, mass shootings in the U S in the last few weeks is not, Isolated from what we've gone through in the last year.
0: No, it feels like people are trying to catch up in a really horrible way.
1: It does. It definitely does. It's pretty scary.
0: Yeah. Well, here in Ontario, we have uh, just a wildly out of control uh, third wave with um, we're, we're all just in a total disaster. So we're just dealing with this constant churning rage.
1: Yeah. Well, and the disillusionment. I mean, I think even those of us that thought we had a healthy, you know, wariness of of political leaders have been shocked by just how nobody seems to know how to do their their job. I, I mean, even in California, which is doing a decent job on vaccine, you know, was so horrifically incompetent at lockdowns during the last year. and and, you know, that's a democratic liberal government, governor that you know, that people liked. But it's just been so brutal to feel like, oh, really no one seems to know what they're doing. We have elected a bunch of people who got elected for their PR acumen and not actually their ability to lead or make decisions in any way, shape, or form. And that's that's dark. I mean, that's a dark, dark realization.
0: Yeah, nobody wants to have to confront the fact that an image can win, right? Like no. that, that, and then it's somebody was saying that, uh, oh, what a shame it is that all of these incompetent people were elected just before a global pandemic. And it's like, I... I think you're missing the point. Yeah. I don't think it was that they were around for it. I think they exacerbated it.
1: Absolutely. You know, we're, we are where we are because we refuse to shut down and pay people. I mean, and yeah. Canada did a much better job of that than America did, but Not glo- globally, you know, we see that it worked in New Zealand, so it's possible. We just oh, didn't yeah. do it.
0: Yeah. And again, we're just... Uh, we're, we're, we're stuck digging our way out. I'm trying to figure out how to bring this back to the Martian, but the, <laughs> but I can, but yeah, as we dig ourselves out of this or as we watch our government figure its shit out, a movie like the Martian is incredibly comforting. And yeah.
1: I, I mean, you need to believe that someone somewhere is good at their job, like that yeah. someone somewhere cares and that would, you know, there's a conversation in the Martian where I, I think between a, I think it's between Sean Bean and, and Jeff Daniels where Jeff Daniels is saying this can't just be about one person. And Sean Bean is saying, no, that's what it has to be about. Um, and that is such a such a critical idea in the movie that the individual life is valuable, valuable to the point of extraordinary efforts. And I think nobody is seeing that reflected in our our societies right now. and it's it's a painful, painful time.
0: Yeah. And it's, again, it's what makes it a contrast to movies from the 70s and 80s where the government didn't care about it. Like Capricorn One is about three astronauts who are dead from the beginning of the film if everything goes the way the government wants. Yeah. Because they're just not important. And they weren't even else, they weren't even off planet. They were just an inconvenient problem. And to be raised on that and and all of those other shadowy films where people in dark rooms like there are no dark rooms in the martian everything is daylight everything is like there's buzzy computers and people moving back and forth and nobody hides anything
1: yeah it's, no it's it's truly just everybody working their hardest and it even sneaks in the idea that you get people like uh, uh like donald glover and like um god i'm blanking on her name the girl from
0: halt and catch fire Oh, Mackenzie Davis.
1: Yeah, Mackenzie Davis, where you're seeing that like the solutions are not only coming from the top, they are also coming from just these people that work at JPL and just this girl that works on the satellites. It, you know, they're also critical to fixing this. And, and that's a nice little little hint of a message in there too, that it's not only the geniuses at yeah. the top of the food chain.
0: Yeah, it's anybody who has something to offer.
1: Yeah. And Sorry. what it, I mean, yeah, it's it's a Communist Manifesto. This movie. <laughs>
0: <laughs> you know, if the Communist Manifesto was this comforting and this rousing, I'd be fine with it.
1: If yeah, if Karl Marx had said he was going to science the shit out of out of government, <laughs> then we all would have read that book when it was assigned to us in high school. Yeah,
0: yeah, I'm trying to think too that uh, of a way to to bring it back to the casting where everyone in it, like Glover and Davis, or. Pulled off television, right? Neither of them was really burning up movies just yet. Um, Although I guess Mackenzie Davis had already made The F Word, which is just this marvelous little film with Daniel Radcliffe. um,
1: I've seen it. It's great. And she's
0: like, it's her and Adam Driver, like that, that movie just, we've done, I think we've already, yes, we have, we've done an episode on it. So anybody listening, just after you watch The Martian again, go watch The F Word again. It's delightful. But the, um, I I don't want to blow past Jessica Chastain because there is a moment she has towards the end where she kind of giggles about maybe the whole thing is going to explode. And it's like, that's why you cast her. Because I spent the whole movie thinking, Jessica Justine, it's like, she's got Oscar nominations. She's like, maybe the best actor of her, the best actress, best female actor of her generation. The more I see of her, the more I'm convinced of this. And then why is she in this movie? And then she gets that laugh and it's like, oh, that's why you cast her. Because you need someone that good.
1: Yeah. I had heard that it was originally supposed to be Kate Blanchett in that role. I am not 100% sure that is oh. true, but that is, I've heard. I could see it. Chastain was a replacement, but I, I honestly think she's a better replacement. You know, the crew is younger. Um, there, Those are all actors in their early thirties, I would say.
0: Yeah. I think that maybe Axel Henney's the oldest one. Yeah. He, no, Pena. Pena's probably the oldest one.
1: And, and, you know, it feels kind of like you've put millennials on a spaceship, you know, that, that yeah. seems to be the vibe. So she, she fits in well for that. And she's so authoritative and and interesting. And, you know, she has a really interesting arc. That was the other thing the producer had mentioned was that um, in the book, it was supposed to be Sebastian Stan's character that rescues yeah. Watney at the end. And man, that's a no brainer change. You, you've got to give it to Chastain, who left him behind on Mars. That's but yeah, that's just another one of those millions of decisions you make in adaptations where it it makes sense after the fact, but at the time, like changing it is a risk. You don't know if it's always going to work.
0: Yeah. You have to trust your writer. You have to trust the actors. You have to trust the audience to accept it all, to get it all. I mean, What Lies West is a little tricky that way too, right? You have to, You really have to invest in, or not invest in, you have to put your trust in us to see where it's going.
1: Very much. <laughs> yeah. And it, and it's another film with, without a villain, um, it, it, because I was trying to adhere so close to kind of a naturalistic style with it. I wanted it to be authentic to how problems happen and how life is dealt with in, in real life. And that does, you know, that does require you to do less handholding on behalf of the audience, um, which is a, a thing I'm terrified <laughs> about how it will be received. <laughs>
0: I mean, it's just, I, I wish I'd been able to see it with an audience. I wish I'd been able to see it in a the theater. I wish I'd been able to so, see so many movies in a the theater uh, this last year. But it's the, um, yeah, I don't, I, I don't want to give anything away for the listeners who definitely won't have seen it yet. But there is a sense of, um, <laughs> maybe it's just my brain trying to stitch it together with the Martians themes, but there is a sense of a larger indifference where the only people... The only person anyone has to depend on is the person with them in What Lies West, where the world doesn't care, so they have to forge these relationships to make it work.
1: Yeah, well, I mean, you know, if the larger villain in in The Martian is is Mars and, and the things that could go wrong there, the, the larger villain in What Lies West is fear. And all you've got when you're up against fear is your own capacity and maybe those of whoever you can bring with you, whoever you can trust enough to bring with you, but the whole world can be scary. Um, You know, you're going to run into it in every direction. So that, yeah, I think there was a deliberately a little bit of an isolating of the characters in that.
0: Yeah. And, and we're left with them and their trust, which to me, like, again, that's something that is ultimately it's on the page. It's in the performances. It's the kind of thing that I've seen a lot of movies get it wrong uh, fairly recently where the balance of, of um, I don't know what to say. It's, it's like, it's such a, it's such an ineffable quality. And I hate myself for saying something that pretentious, but it is the sort of thing that you really, it basically comes down to the chemistry between the actors and the ability to sell a relationship through and the filmmaker's ability to sell that relationship through the editing and the, and the, and the structure of the film. And it, doesn't always work. And it does in your movie. And like, how did you do that? Like, is there, (laughs) is there a way, is there, is there a method that I'm missing? Is there something I'm not connecting to in the other films?
1: I mean, part of the key, and and it sucks because this is not teachable, is that I was, I was building off of, um, I knew the lead actresses. I've known them their whole lives. They've known each other their whole lives. So I was dealing with a chemistry that I already knew existed. Um, and a very, uh, they're, they're not like they th- those two actresses are not like their characters in the film, but they are very different people with very different approaches to life. And it's always been interesting to watch them interact. Um, and I felt like if that's compelling to me, just knowing them, I think that's going to be compelling on screen, the, the two of them. And you will want to see h- how a friendship between unlikely people develops. Um, and you know neither of them are right, neither of them are wrong in their approaches to life. They and they're both quite young, so you can see that it's their ideas are works in progress yeah. of, of how to act. Um, but yeah, I don't know. I I we got lucky. We got lucky that I had the two perfect actresses to build a story around. I should yeah, yeah, I mean, cheat where you can, cheat wherever you can. If you've if you've got an asset already definitely i mean you know and if i had had different actresses i would have written a different story so much of this came out of them particularly um and and just thinking about where i could develop an interesting world to put those two in that you'd enjoy watching them so i'm glad it's coming across (laughs) very good to hear that
0: oh my pleasure um (laughs) I always stumble over this cuz it sounds so funny but it's really easy to talk about. It's really easy to get behind a movie that's really easy to get behind. There are films where it's a bit of a struggle to buy in or where, you know, like the second act is lumpy because of the thing that like I I see lots of movies structurally the the pieces reveal themselves very quickly. Um and it's again, it's part of that is the is the reliance on casting actors in the thing that we already know them for. So there is less of a challenge there, but when you see something like this and you're discovering people that you've never seen before, it's, it feels like, I mean, it, obviously it feels like a discovery, but when it works, it feels like it really works. I'm just like I, you know, I, the, I will gladly to take it.
1: credit for that. Yeah. <laughs> <laughs> I, I will take credit for anything. Um, yeah, it's a, I don't know. It was a, it was a strange little film and I knew it was going to ask a little more of the audience than maybe they're they're used to giving us credit. Not that it's a difficult narrative, you know, but but just that uh, you're going to have to trust that you're going to like where this is going. And, you know, can I buy that 15 minutes from somebody? Because I think the second the f- film goes outside and you get out of the house, you know, and and are, are out in the natural world, suddenly you take the same breath, the same exhale that the characters are taking. And, and hopefully from that point, you're hooked
0: yeah, that's a really good way to put it. And and you are trusting the audience to stick with it, right? Like it's it's not a big ask. Hopefully by the time you press play or buy the ticket, you're already interested, right? Like the I go into everything hoping it's gonna be worth my time. But yeah, I, I don't get this whole watch something for five minutes and give up. But I I mean, obviously it's what streaming has done to people with the with the gargantuan selection of everything. And the fact that you don't have to get up and put it in a machine to play it changes the relationship too, which just makes me sad and angry.
1: Well, yeah, I mean, we are we are in such a world of instant gratification with the internet, with 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 streaming, with everything, where you can have exactly what you want at every moment, and I think that's extremely bad for us. Yeah, you, you know, in so many movies, so many ways, this the Wild Lives West was a throwback to kind of a '90s sensibility in independent film. And that includes an actual first act. <laughs> so I'm hoping, I'm hoping that anyone who sees it likes first acts, um, but we'll see. Yeah.
0: Why wouldn't you? They're important. Um, I, I'll cut this if you don't want me to share it, but I got a huge Allison Anders vibe out of it. I mean, gas, food, lodging, things like that. Movies about unexpected relationships and, and deep bonds among people yeah. who might not otherwise.
1: Yeah. That's a reasonable comparison. I think. Yeah. Um, We were, we were looking a lot at like kind of movies that were aimed at, you know, young teenagers, movies, particularly that I grew up with movies like Now and Then and The Man on the Moon. Um, There's a 60s movie that I love called The Trouble with Angels. There's Ida Lupino, um, which is a Haley, a late Haley Mills movie about um, girls going to school at a nunnery and ends up being an incredible look at these nuns lives and how they came to these choices and what seeing their lives does to these girls. And that was hugely on my mind in this. Mm-hmm. Um, it's just girls running around a convent for two hours. And and it is one of my favorite movies that I've, I've ever seen. Uh, and so, so yeah, there were a lot of various inspirations that we pulled, but we also pulled this movie together so fast. I mean, we went from, let's shoot a movie to we are shooting this movie starting today in three and a half months. Um, So (laughs) a lot of the influences came in along the way of production, as opposed to in a long leisurely time where I was thinking about it beforehand.
0: Well, no wonder you picked The Martian for problem solving under pressure.
1: Exactly. I I mean, I think I like that. And and, uh, I mean, it's one of the things I love about filmmaking is, if you're lucky, that's what a set is. Is The Martian? It's everybody working their hardest with all of their different talents to s- solve a problem or to, you know, finish a puzzle together. And I don't know, it's corny, but I find that so exciting.
0: I think it's nice. I mean, I think I like the idea of everybody pulling together. I mean, Edgar Wright has frequently described movie making as everyone pulling the rope the same tension and the director's job is telling them what the tension is, but otherwise you just trust them to know how to pull.
1: That's an interesting way to, to put it. I, I don't know if I would, yeah, I, I mean, I, I guess I sort of agree with that. The director, <laughs> because I went through like film school and stuff, my concept of directing has altered greatly as I've actually started doing it. Um, it, it seems like a much more important job than I think it actually is. Uh, and you are, are so much there to facilitate other people's talents. And we have this image that, that you are just there to express your own talent. And I, I think that couldn't be further from the truth.
0: Yeah, I, I find the more time I spend watching the works of the, the like the true auteurists, that that signature can get pretty boring if they only want to do one thing.
1: Exactly. Yeah. Yeah.
0: I mean, you can always tell when... A movie is directed by Guillermo del Toro, but you can also tell that the pleasure he takes in letting the production design show off or letting the actors have a moment or things like that. I, Ridley Scott's best films are the ones where it doesn't feel like a Ridley Scott movie. It mm-hmm. just feels like a great movie.
1: Yeah, and I, I mean, I think we have, because we love to define people so so severely and, and in such small terms that we force directors into choosing a style and sure. a... Persona of themselves. And I don't know if I think that's really what art is, you know, especially when you're telling stories, especially when you didn't necessarily write those stories. I think you need to retain a measure of flexibility. Um, but then again, I am not very successful. So <laughs> I am not doing this the right way.
0: You're young yet. So let's see what happens next. Uh, what it, do you have another project lined up? Yet? Not at is the moment.
1: Something? Nope. No, no. My life is just getting this movie out and then praying someone says, I would like to see more from her. Uh, I mean, I'm always writing because I'm a screenwriter. I come from a screenwriting background almost entirely. Um, So so it's always there's always four scripts going on. But uh, I don't know. We'll we'll see if the directing thing pans out. I'm not so sure.
0: I don't know. It feels like you got something. I, this is the bit where it sounds like I'm starting to suck up, so I'm going to drop it. But
1: <laughs> no, no, it's, no, please. Tell me that. It's very, I'm about to get Rotten Tomatoes reviews. I'm oh, terrified.
0: Oh, those things don't mean anything. Uh, no, it's a good movie. And I hope, honestly, I hope that in some small way we can get people to to see it because it's the polar opposite of a movie like The Martian where, you know, you don't know anybody in it and it doesn't have a pedigree and it's just a small good thing that, you know... Gets at least now um, it's it's democratized on iTunes where the tile is the same size as all the other tiles.
1: Yeah, that is nice. I I liked the fact that we were able to start pre-orders this uh, for Apple the day that Ted Lasso season two was announced. I was like, yeah, it's just me and Ted Lasso on Apple, coming the, the, just the two of us. Uh, but yeah, you know, it was always supposed to be small. We didn't even know if we were going to get distribution. This was you know a bunch of grad school graduates who hadn't done anything yet going. Let's finally please do something. Um, And it was a huge leap of faith on everybody's parts to put me in charge of it. (laughs) But, uh, you know, all we really wanted to do was to make something that would make people feel better for 85 minutes and walk out of a theater feeling a little better. Because, my God, do people need anything that helps them feel better right now? Um, And I, I hope we've accomplished that. I think we have. Makes me feel better.
0: My thanks to Jessica Ellis, whose fine first feature, What Lies West, is now available to rent or buy on VOD platforms across America. You should watch it. You can find Jessica on Twitter at BaddestMamaJama, all one word, B-A-D-D-E-S-T-M-A-M-A-J-A-M-A. And you can find The Martian on 4K, Blu-ray, and DVD from 20th Century Fox Home Entertainment. It's also available on Apple TV and Google Play, and streaming in 4K on Disney+. As always, you can find me on Twitter at Norm Wilner and elsewhere on the internet at NowToronto.com where I'm hosting a bunch of podcasts these days and writing a weekly Now streaming newsletter to which you can subscribe at NowToronto.Substack.com And you can find this podcast on Twitter at Semcast mcast and on the web at movie.com. Our theme song is by the last year If you like it or the show, say so Leave a review on Apple Podcasts or Google Podcasts or wherever you've been enjoying this Every little bit helps, it truly does And check out the other programming on the Frequency Podcast Network while you're there. There's some good stuff. Stay home, watch movies, wear a mask if you go out. I'll see you next time.